Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The Inner Odyssey, a podcast about developing self-awareness, self-confidence, and self-determination through living honestly and practicing self-love. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you for all your feedback on past episodes. Today will be the last episode in the series that focus on self-awareness. My goal so far has been to provide you with the tools to develop self-knowledge and self-control so that you will not only see yourself as others see you, but see yourself as you really are. We considered how honesty had to be the foundation on which the entire process is based and discussed the process of self-evaluation and thought management as a means of understanding your mental environment. Lastly, we focus on the practice of concentration as a tool with which we harness and control that recalcitrant entity called the mind. Today, I wanted to continue our discussion by addressing the concept of self-love and how self-awareness relates, promotes, and drives the practice of self-love and self-care. As we mentioned before, self-awareness involves having an in-depth knowledge of oneself including character traits, resources, tendencies, internal states, feelings, motivation, and desires. It is not about defining what is good or bad about you, but more about getting a complete inventory of who you are. It is the mechanism through which you can acquire the requisite knowledge of yourself so that you can understand, evaluate, and compare the outward manifestation of you, your behavior, to your higher values and personal standards. With the capacity to honestly and objectively evaluate yourself, you gain control of your thoughts and environment. So rather than reacting and being controlled by circumstances, you are more calm and self-possessed and respond to them with equanimity and poise. With profound self-awareness comes the capacity to do and be great things. One of the greatest being loving towards yourself. Self-love is an interesting concept for most, as the quality and demonstration of the love you have for yourself has a whole host of interesting implications. It not only defines your relationship with yourself, but also that with others, as it colors the lenses through which you view and interact with the world at large. Commonly, when we think of self-love, we think in terms of what we do and think about ourselves in a self-promoting fashion. We tend to say and do things that primarily subserve our best interests by engaging in the egotistical and arrogant pursuits that ensures that we win or are seen as winners, forgetting about the unbreakable bond and direct impact we have on each other. We become so focused on having our needs met, getting our way, looking out for number one, that we devolve into comparing ourselves to others to see how we measure up. A common pursuit that is not demonstrable of self-love. Think of some entity that you love, have expressed love for or envision loving. How do you treat them? What are the lengths that you would go in order to spare them pain and suffering so as to make their life or situation easier? What are some of the things that you say or do to demonstrate to them that they are loved by you? Would that entity want and appreciate being loved by you as you show love? 
how do you reciprocate that love shown to you? My definition of self-love is grounded in self-awareness, seeing yourself as you truly are and appreciating the miracle of you. If you truly were to know, understand, and appreciate just how elegantly formed, intricately detailed, and exquisitely functional just one aspect of your physical form were, say your foot or your hand, even your face or your liver, you would be amazed and in awe. Now extend that awe and admiration to your entire physical form and its function by again knowing, understanding, and appreciating how, for example, the structure of the face allows you to smile or grimace, or how the legs allow you to mount stairs or run, you would likely be utterly astounded and humbled. Then add to that structure and function the complexity that is you as far as your nervous system and mental environment are concerned, and you will be awestruck, speechless, gobsmacked. There's really no word that captures the sheer wonder, the unmitigated delight, the unfathomable marvel that the human entity that is you really is. There's a scientific documentary out there that attempts to chronicle the formation of the human entity from conception to birth. But even that does not do the stunning creation justice. This documentary attempts to show the intricacy and complexity involved in creating, giving rise to a healthy functional person, life. It shows, in light of how little we really know about the human form, how complex yet so simple the body processes are, and how many numerous opportunities there are for errors to occur during gestation, and shows how dysfunction can happen at any point in time. It shows some of the variations that are present that are the results of quote unquote errors and how despite these errors, the function in life is maintained to a usable degree. It was a great show, but for the life of me, I cannot recall the name or where I found it. It left me wondering, however, what is there not to love about myself and you, of course. With all that said, I want to define self-love as the capacity to love you despite all your perceived faults and foibles, regardless of all the things that you consider yourself lacking, looks, intelligence, ability, your background, or some other metric. Self-love is the capacity to love that person you discovered on self-analysis, just as you would love the entity to whom you have professed your love for. In loving that entity, would you compare them unfavorably to others, knowing fully well that an accurate comparison will never be possible? Would you tell them or think negative thoughts about them? Would you do things to them knowing that it was not in their best interest? The quality and caliber of the love that you show to yourself is what you will show and give to someone else in the world. In addition, that is the quality of love that you will expect and accept from someone else. That is why everyone's demonstration of love is not always compatible with everyone else, because we expect expressions of love to be similar to what we see ourselves capable of giving. 
That is why many people envision that they are loved when they are being treated gently, honestly, and with care and respect, instead of feeling unease and suspicious. Others see verbal abuse and even physical abuse and unreasonable expectations as expressions of love because that is what they are used to and likely to give to others. Still others see the act of giving and receiving love an act of sacrifice. Unlike sacrifice, however, love is not long-suffering, disinterested, dishonest, unfocused, shown to or expressed for self-interest. Love is not based on contingency or reciprocity. That is manipulation. Think of all the love relationships that you have had the privilege of observing in your lifetime. Think about the ones that are long-lasting and sustained. Were they usually the relationships wherein the only expectations were honesty and tolerance? In these sustaining relationships, each person were willing to get to know, understand, and appreciate the other person in spite of themselves and love them just as they were, just because. Each person were loving of themselves enough to bring their best selves forward in all interactions despite the situation, putting aside self-interest at the risk sometimes of even death. In a relationship, when we are able to bring forward our most honest selves, the one that understands what underpins our selfish desires and motivations, the one that is aware of and understands the debilitating beliefs and untrue impressions and faulty perceptions that form the basis for angry thoughts, egotistical motivations, and arrogant proclamations, the one that treats every other person like they would truly like to be treated, then we can say that we are displaying love. So far, I have discussed this concept of love in reference to another. I now want you to take all the considerations mentioned before and apply it to loving yourself. Do you love yourself like you do another whom you profess to love? Where do you come up short? What needs to be improved or reconsidered? Are you able to and routinely practice giving to yourself the love that you wish to receive from others? I hope you can see that without self-love, you cannot really have love or care for others. And neither self-love or love for others is possible without self-awareness. So how do you demonstrate that you love yourself? By caring for yourself, of course. That is, doing those things that safeguard your physical and mental well-being. Before we discuss mental well-being, I want to touch on how to take care of the physical self, the body. Firstly, please disabuse yourself of the notion that your body is a sophisticated computer. That analogy does not do justice to this miraculous creation that is you and leads to self-neglect and abuse. Unlike those inanimate objects, computers, you cannot go nonstop without attention. You should not and do not depend on external input to function, and when broken, your parts cannot just be swapped out or tuned up to regain function. I trust that we are all familiar with the health benefits of exercise. However, I want to bring to your attention the practice of exercise that is not conducive to health, 
actually causing harm and is demonstrable of self-loathing. I am talking about those exercise practices that when done, leave you exhausted and fatigued instead of invigorated and rejuvenated. Those routines cause damage to the fragile infrastructure of the body and reinforce negative self-talk and beliefs when things hurt and break down prematurely. The body is in a constant state of repair and rejuvenation and likes to be in equilibrium. Fatigue and pain are signs that the body is in a state where its resources are unable to cope with or combat the damage being done. When you work out with awareness, you know how much activity the body needs and when enough is enough. You know how intensely you can work out before damaging structures and causing pain and dysfunction. You also know that you are not going to reverse years of neglect in one week or one year even, regardless of how hard you pound it without hurting yourself. You understand the benefits of going slowly, stretching, hydration, patience, and rest. Show self-love and care for your body by exercising responsibly. Be gentle and forgiving while challenging yourself against your own realistic metrics. There are numerous factors to achieving mental well-being. Here I will discuss the three most important, stress, rest, and relationships. Since we have been discussing the love relationship you should have with yourself, let's continue the discussion by discussing other relationships as it relates to self-care and ultimately self-love. Relationships are the foundation of life. This goes for your relationship with yourself, to that with loved ones and family, as well as with strangers to whom you must interact. Relationships are meant to nurture us and teach us things about ourselves so as to allow us to be the best we can be. Relationships also allow us to serve the same purpose in someone else's life. Not all relationships are created equal. Not all relationships are going to be fulfilling, but they should all nurture us in some way. It is important to never be involved in a relationship that does not align with your morals and standards ever. If a relationship forces you to become something that you're not, then it is not for you. If a relationship causes you to compromise your principles, then it is definitely not for you. To make a relationship that is unsettling work, you have to be dishonest, either by lying to the other person or by abandoning your morals and principles. If you are in such a relationship, after careful self-analysis as to what is causing the discomfort, share your truth in a gentle and honest fashion and exit stage left. You are not making excuses, seeking forgiveness or blaming anyone. You are just letting the other person know that you do not feel comfortable maintaining the relationship because of what have you. It doesn't matter. Regardless of the type of relationship you were involved in, it is imperative to remember that you are to love others in spite of themselves. That does not mean, however, that you allow them to take advantage of you, undermine or be disrespectful or abusive towards you. If that is how they show love and it is not how you would like to receive love and shouldn't, 
then it is best for both parties if you part ways. In any relationship, it is always necessary to love and respect yourself enough not to put up with abuse or mistreatment. That will be self-abandonment and is neither self-loving or self-caring. At the end of the day, all you have is yourself and therefore this is with whom you should have the best relationship ever. Wherever you go, there you will be, both physically and mentally. Unless, of course, you have lost your mind along the way, and even then, you're still there with you somewhere. So show yourself the love that you would like to receive and be willing to accept. Your mental health and well-being also depends on your ability to cope with the vicissitudes that are present in the world. The degree of development of your coping skills directly impact how you manage stress, the next integral factor in mental well-being. So what is stress? We hear the word bandied about a lot and implicated in various situations, both positive and negative. We hear a lot about stress management and books are written about techniques to combat stressors, but what is stress really? Is stress that nebulous thing that exerts its influence over us despite our best efforts, or is it something that we can influence? As you know, I do not subscribe to the helplessness model. So the answer to that question obviously is stress is something that we can effectively control and manage once you get to know it, understand it, and appreciate it for what it is. Before I share with you my definition of stress, I want to point out a few things that we should appreciate and be absolutely clear about. Firstly, I hope you can appreciate that stress is part of all life. We all experience it every day of our lives, as long as we are living and doing. So do physical structures and other forms of life. It is unavoidable. Secondly, despite all the various definitions and categorizations of stress, I hope that you can acknowledge that stress is a wholly subjective and personal experience that manifests in a variety of ways, both physically and mentally. Thirdly, understand that the stressor is neither negative or positive. It just is a neutral occurrence that affects us in a particular way that we can interpret as negative or positive. For example, some people find speeding exhilarating while others find it terrifying. Lastly, Recognize that stress is one of those things that begets itself, meaning that stress causes more stress. So since we cannot avoid it, it is best to develop tools to manage and mitigate its effects in our lives. I define stress as anything, be it internal or external, that cause a mental or physical arousal of tension, strain, anxieties, or duress. This arousal can have positive or negative effects depending on how you interpret the stressor and the accompanying circumstances. With both physical and mental stressors, at one end of the spectrum, stress or tension can be healthy and encourage action and achievement. While on the other end, the same stress becomes exhausting and healthy and can cause mental and or physical breakdown. In the transition from encouraging achievement to causing a breakdown, there's a healthy amount of stress that facilitates perseverance. When stress begins to cause fatigue, this is the first sign of overload. 
and a signal to step back and regroup. When affecting the physical form, stress can be had from different sources, for example, from extending yourself physically beyond what is normal for you. For example, lifting or mo moving heavy objects, experiencing extremes of temperature, running a marathon, having any physical exertion, etc., etc., etc. Stress can also manifest physically as skin changes, hives, rashes, dry skin, baldness, muscle tension, wrinkles, etc. In the mental environment, the manner in which you perceive and interpret the world and its events lead to the perception of stress in your sphere of reality. And since stress begets more stress, if you are not able to quickly change negatively stressful thoughts into positive encouraging thoughts, then you will spiral to debility. In the previous exercises, I implored you to get to know yourself so that you will be able to predict with a high degree of specificity how you will react to various situations. As you can imagine, your interpretation of how you are able to control or manage a situation, that is, your confidence in your abilities and level of self-efficacy, will determine how powerless or helpless you perceive yourself to be in a particular situation. The more powerless you feel, the more stress you will experience. In controlling the stress experience, either physically or mentally, it is important to realize that control would be had over a situation if and if only you are able to control yourself and where you allow your mind to go. We're all fascinated by the seemingly regular people who can perform superhuman feats of strength and endurance. In telling their story, it is clear that the only thing that separates them from us regular Joes is the ability to control their perceptions and their minds. The degree to which you are able to recognize faulty perceptions and dispel the negative self-talk is an indicator of how successful you will be in managing and decreasing stress. When you know yourself well, then you will know your abilities and limits, fears and triggers as well as how to manage them and control them effectively. The key in all this is to prepare ahead in your mind for all contingencies or as many as you can think of ahead of time so that you are able to respond to a situation rather than react to it in the habitual manner. Eliminating magical thinking or fantastical thinking is a great way to eliminate stress. Seeing yourself or your situation as they really are, rather than somehow so unique as to expect special treatment or be given special dispensations, is another way to utilize time preparing and thus mitigate stress. Relying on and expecting what happened in the past to occur again, despite this being a new situation and different time period, is a surefire way to pile on the stress. Let's take a common stressor, getting to work on time. You know the route, you know how long things take if you're driving at a reasonable speed on a workday. You know that unlike early Sunday morning, other persons are making the same journey as you are. So there may be mishaps or traffic to contend with. So knowing that on Sunday morning, when there's light non-impeding traffic, your trip takes 30 minutes door to door. On Monday morning, or if it's raining, or if there's construction going on, would you give yourself only 30 minutes to get there? 
Of course not. You likely would say, but how many of us do it nonetheless? We then get to work all hassled and frazzled and wonder why the day does not go well. Wonder why we are so full of stress. How about if you have to go shopping for a large item, say a 56 inch TV? Would you pull up to Costco in the Mini Cooper or try to find a vehicle that is larger than you anticipate that you would need based on your awareness of the dimensions of the object you wish to purchase and your measurements of the vehicle you have. I see this so often and each time it is uniquely funny. Those two situations show how a lack of honest assessment and a neglect to plan and utilize patience can lead to stress. Stress is however mostly caused by the way we tend to think about a situation. Let's say you're looking for a new position. You have all the credentials and based on what you know about yourself, will be well suited for the position. Why then would you entertain in your mind and perseverate on all the things that could prevent you from getting the job? Could you instead have utilized this mental energy to do the things that you can do to make sure that you have the best chance of landing the position, being well aware that you cannot control someone else or dictate their actions or have all the information available to you. Did you take into consideration that phenomenon of cultural suitability in addition to qualifications when you applied for the job? How about when selling either yourself or a product? Do you think about what you would do if you were not able to make the sale? or had to reduce your asking price, or even had to accept a delayed payment. In general, for any foreseeable situation, is it your habit to come up with a plan B, C, and D if available? In other words, do you brainstorm about what the what ifs and how would you handle them before being faced with a situation? Think about the things that usually cause you stress. How can you mitigate the negative effects on your person and your mental well-being? Some of my stresses include preparing a meal at the end of a long work day. To help mitigate this stress, I prepare meals in advance or designate someone else in the household to cook on a certain day, or just settle for a salad and prepare great stuff on the weekend. Another stressor is a messy house. I try not to make a mess and clean up after myself usually. I also created a cleaning schedule so something gets done every weekend or during a non-busy period. Another big stressor is rushing around. It is not only stressful, it's debilitatingly ang anger producing. So I plan ahead and give myself more time than needed to get to places or else just accept the fact I would not be there on time and move on. Noise is another stressor of mine. I try to schedule myself time to spend as much time as possible alone with my activities daily. If unable to get time during the day, I take a scenic route or go to bed earlier. Are there other tools you use to prevent yourself becoming tense in a situation that threatens your sense of peace? How about stop the practice of exaggerating, giving things more recognition and importance than they deserve? 
realize that no one is going to live up to your standards. They are not going to think like you or do things like you do and are likely to disappoint you if you let them. Accept that you are not perfect and remember that perfect is so subjective so as to be supremely pointless pursuit. Refuse to allow anyone or anything affect you so much so as to disperse your sense of peace and serenity. Humming a tune and smiling while working or when in a stressful situation is gold. I hope that you have gathered that controlling and managing stress is a matter of not only how well you know yourself, but also how well you can control your mind. After all, the perception of stress remains a mental phenomenon. How can you change your thoughts about a thing so that it is not stressful or arouse the anxieties? Expect the best, but prepare for the worst or unexpected by creating contingencies. Stress is then mitigated. If you habitually prepare for tomorrow before it becomes today, undue stress is avoided. Remember that life is about change, but that change does not always have to require a reaction. Instead, be self-aware and self-controlled enough to be able to make a measured response. Love yourself enough to provide for yourself the things that you can anticipate that you will need. Lastly, be courageous enough to be flexible and stand up for what you believe in, knowing that everything that happens is for your benefit. Last but not least, let's talk about taking time for yourself, time to regroup and rejuvenate. Rest includes both sleep and quiet time. Sleep is a vital component of life and one that should be prioritized. It is postulated that the act of sleep gives the physical brain time to clean itself. Without rest, the mind that has been running all day is in a state of disarray. Think about how you feel when you are sleep deprived. Your mind, although functioning, is cloudy and not efficient. The attention is fractured and easily diverted, not at all conducive to focusing. You may be able to go for long periods in a state of mental exhaustion, but it does catch up with you in terms of productivity, efficiency, and well-being. More and more research is showing that sleep is vital and lack of sleep is associated with both mental and physical conditions that are avoidable. Do you feel at peace or loved when you are constantly woken up or disturbed when trying to sleep? Quiet time. Taking time out during the day or between tasks. This brief respite gives you not only time to take a breath, but also time to introspect and recollect your energy. Before bedtime, it can be time taken to go over the day in your head and see what you did that you are proud of and see what can be done better next time. Also, a time to use your imagination to create your reality, especially when there's something stressful coming up that you're aware of. A time to make plans. Take time regularly to visualize and create what you wish your reality to be. This is an absolutely productive use of quiet time and a technique used by many elite athletes and high-performing people 
called visualizing. So in summary, being self-aware allows you to be self-loving and gives you the tools to take care of yourself without guilt or excuses. You are too magnificent to neglect and too honest and amazing to sacrifice. In preparing this piece, I came to the conclusion that living life is like dealing with the weather. Since inevitably, you will experience many things that are unexpected and beyond your control, it behooves you to decide ahead of time what you are willing to accept and go along with, what you want to selectively and completely ignore, what you will want to avoid altogether, the steps you are willing to take to prevent anything this fleeting from crushing your spirit. Thank you for joining us today on The Inner Odyssey. That's it for today. Remember, I am good enough, I am strong enough, I am powerful enough, I am capable enough, I am loved, lovable, and loving. As always, I'm grateful for the time you're taking to listen to this presentation. We will be back in late summer with new episodes and cool stuff on the website. Meanwhile, enjoy your summer and be safe. Share the show and subscribe to our podcast on anchor.fm slash The Inner Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, care enough to act with virtue, dream despite your deepest fears. Live honestly with dignity and grace, and above all, love without expecting reciprocation as you continue your inner odyssey.